Welcome to the CCUPC cutting room floor. Uh, I am Pastor James. And I'm Pastor Dina. And we are glad that you are with us. This week, we are taking a look at the life of Paul. We're taking a deeper dive into Paul's missionary work in Acts 13 and Acts 14. These were some interesting passages. After several weeks of what felt like were, you know, these deep searching passages, this one seemed like a bit of a different speed. Um, How did this passage strike you when you heard it, Pastor Dina? I think on first read, especially if you've not read all of the the passages leading up to it and the ones following it, it, it feels kind of random, just plucked from the middle of Acts where Paul is just beginning his journey. And there's definitely a temptation. On my first read, as I was thinking about, we hadn't had a chance to talk about the themes for the week yet, but my first read, I thought, what's in there? I don't know. <laughs> that was my first read on the week too. It was because uh, you look at it and you're like, what does this even say? <laughs> yeah, it it really, it seems transitional. Like it seems like it's it's really kind of just a tool to show how Paul got from one place to another with a little little stopover in between. But, um, but you did a great job anyway of, of digging some theological truths out of that. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. It was, it, it, it really was a work over the week of realizing, actually realizing that it was okay to say that there was some failure in there. Mm -hmm. Not that, that, that God's word had failed, but like that Paul was getting his legs under him, his sea legs under him. Mm -hmm. And so it was okay to, to, to look at that and be like, Oh, Paul grew as he went along. He 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 adapted, he changed, he he had more maturity at the end of his life than he had at the beginning of his life. Yeah. And and to think about what that has to say for us today because we are not good at failure and and I say that personally, we don't like to fail and we get really discouraged the at the first signs of things not going right. And also at the church, how often we look at something and say, well, that didn't work. And we've given it exactly one shot. Yes. And in this respect, I think the church might be a, 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 um, ahead of the curve because some of the things that we know about um, Gen Alpha is that they are very, very risk averse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, just in general, we are entering a culture um, I remember when I was going through college and probably when you were going through college too, it felt like a much more, um, I don't want to say activist in a bad way, but it was kind of a change the world kind of mentality. Um, and I think the the generation coming up, one of the ways that, that we'll struggle to understand them is that they're much more of don't let the world hurt me. And I don't mean that in a bad way um, because there are a lot of things in this world to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a it's a, a generation of high anxiety. It's a generation of deep-seated fear. And I think we've got to, to recognize that and, and, and respect it. And, and it's good to draw out of the scripture and see, oh, it speaks to that too. Yeah. And I think one of the things that came out of that passage is the idea that failure doesn't necessarily mean that this wasn't God's will, that this wasn't the right way to go that commissioning doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to succeed at everything 
that we do and try. And to me, that was one of the struggling points of this passage and the way that we unfolded it is how do you discern what struggles or failure or roadblocks mean? When do you say this is this is merely a speed bump that I have to work through because this is where God is calling me to go? Or when is it, you know, a road closed sign saying go in a different <laughs> direction? Or when is it a stoplight saying yeah. you're going in the right direction, but now is not the right time or any other application of of when to go and when to stay and when to pivot and how do we figure all that out from a finite limited broken kind of perspective that, that's a fantastic question and and one that obviously i had to wrestle with a bit in dealing with this passage because what paul does uh, is is absolutely illogical you know paul gets up after being stoned by this mob that wanted to make him a god at first, you know, very fickle c- crowd, mm-hmm. fickle crowds in the Bible. Yeah. But he, you know, he, he gets up from being unconscious and walks right back into that city. And, uh, you know, even I'm sitting there going, no, no, <laughs> Don't <laughs> time, time out. that's a bad idea. That's a really bad idea. And, and so how do you know? Because worldly wisdom would say, this isn't a good idea. Yeah, I wrote down the same thing. When do we know when to walk back into the city and when do we know when to walk away? Especially because we have scriptural support for both. I mean, we have parables where we are told to persevere, where we're told to turn the other cheek, where we're told to, um, to keep pursuing the call of God on our lives. We're also... We also have examples of shake the dust off your sandals yeah. and, and keep going. And so trying to figure out, if, is, this a, is this a cheek moment or is this a sandal moment? How do, I, how do I interpret where God is leading in the midst of this? Also acknowledging that in the midst of this, my feelings are probably hurt. Paul was physically hurt, but there's so much more involved in it than just the call of God on our lives. We have to discern what's me and what's God calling me to do and how, how, are, how is my own ego and, and feelings and of discouragement interacting with all that. So in our, in our pre, um, you, you had a, a great pullout in our, in our pre podcast recording talk in that, um, you know, the, the narrative lectionary starts out with chapter 13 verses one through three, which is just this little snippet of the church at Antioch and they're all together. And we've got this broad diversity of people around the table, and they all hear the call of the Holy Spirit. And so one of the, the, one of the ways that the American church is really, really bad, and so each one of us is really, really bad at discerning the will of the Holy Spirit, is we don't do it in community. And so what we learn from the Scripture is it's done in community, and so we're not left second-guessing the question, boy, is this really the way I am supposed to go? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we're supposed to have this community of believers that knows us, that is able to speak into our lives because they know what's going on in our lives. They know what our gifts and our skills are. They know what our breaking points are. They know where our weaknesses are. They know the calling that we think that we have and are able to speak into it in a in a in a manner of depth that that no one else can. 
and we don't see that a terribly uh, uh, terribly uh, many times mm-hmm. but I, that's the critical point i think in this is that paul is able to get back up because that calling was done in community he know he heard clearly the voice of of god he heard the spirit um but so did manan and simon and 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 the others who are around the table there at the beginning of of chapter 13 mm-hmm. and that community being in that kind of community is a really vulnerable place to be because you have to let people get to know you and you mm. have to be willing to listen to what they're saying and the community has to be willing to not just pander to the person seeking guidance and say oh sure sure this is you know go ahead do it we'll support you you can do whatever you put your mind to yay you that that sometimes being a part of a community of accountability means being willing to say and being willing to hear maybe this is a sign that that you should go in a different direction or that this isn't where you're being called right now um it it's hard to have that kind of community. It's hard. I know you speak of mentors quite often. <laughs> and when you have those relationships, they're great, but they're hard to come by too. Yes. And I think for myself, all of the people that I would have considered mentors are have, have passed away. They're gone. And mm. so to try and find that again is hard work, especially in the busyness of everyday life and and doing things in, um, you know, getting all the things done and doing all the things to develop those relationships is hard to find the the time and the and the bandwidth to be vulnerable because it's not something you just jump into. Yeah, it's something that that develops over time. You're absolutely right in that, and it it, it a lot of my mentors and a lot of the people that that I feel um, that I can be safely vulnerable with are people that I feel very much were divinely put in. So I don't really have a recipe on like, okay, this is how you do it because I feel like the Holy Spirit worked in all the circumstance uh, that I had to bring about um, to, to bring about those people into my life. Now, it, sure, it, we had to, you know, both sides then had to engage the, the relationship. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because it does require bandwidth. And one of the things that, that you and I both know is that, that we're pulled 50,000 directions, especially in, um, especially in, um, the, um, especially with kids sports and so on and so forth. As we're recording this, uh, uh, my son is going to be in a deck hockey game tonight and I'm trying to, you know, think about how to, to do things to, to get down there because it's going to, uh, going to be his first time in goal and things like that. And so, you know, there's this tension that's just relentless. And so it does require, um, it does require that, that we invest time and that hurts, Mm -hmm. but as well to be vulnerable, you know, that means that those people can hurt you in a way that no one else can. And that's a scary thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the community and anytime I say community, I think we need to read into that church, Mm -hmm. um, that, 
uh, anytime the community um, starts to try to develop these things, we have to be above reproach when it comes to our relationships. You know, the, the, the stereotypical church backstabbing and gossip and so on has to absolutely be thrown out the window Mm -hmm. so that we are a community of utmost trust where people can grow. Um, Because once people have that information, they can wound you quite deeply. Um, Or for fear of breaking the relationship, like you said, they can kind of blow smoke your direction because they don't want to hurt the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's danger on both sides is what I'm saying. Yeah. For sure. It, it, and I think that is true of any relationship. We're called to be in relationship with one another. And that's a scary step to take. And I wonder if, if that's part of the, the anxiety we feel as a culture, as we have all kinds of different digital ways of relating that, that we can curate how we appear and how we look that to let people in on a real level where we're willing to say, I need your help figuring out if this is where God is calling me to go. That that's a level of intimacy that we are not acquainted with in general, even in the church, because I have heard lots of people say, well, I was struggling. And so I didn't want to come to church. I was afraid I would cry the whole service and so I didn't want to come to church because we have convinced ourselves that that this this community is not a place where we can be real. It's a place where we have to present as though we're not struggling. And it should be the opposite. And, and my, my heart is for it to be the opposite. And I think yes. with our words, we say we want it to be the opposite. But I think we all have work to do, myself included, on whether we're willing to take that step and and truly let us let others see the way we struggle the questions we have the the wondering am i messing this all up at, at every turn and letting people speak into that for better and for worse and saying yeah maybe maybe you are messing up here but here's where i think you're getting it right the that's a difficult journey and it's a um uh, it's it's a journey that that we have to recognize actually in the context of of this story for um for Paul that he he messes up and it's going to take time and so if if uh, if our congregation if any congregation if any 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 church wants to become that community it's going to take time it's going to take effort it's going to take a, a real deep um, understanding of forgiveness mm-hmm. and uh, being bound together in Christ. It's going to take a um, a deep commitment to truth and to um, transformation, deep transformation from the inside out and discipleship. Yeah, and I I would add communication to that in in that eliminating the triangles of of talking to everyone but the person with whom you have concerns or questions um 
or say, you know, saying to a person's face, sure, I think you should go in this direction. And then turning around and saying, nope, I don't think they should go in that direction (laughs) at all. Or I have concerns about this. But and I think that also goes to vulnerability because it's hard to take a stand on something and be willing to be wrong about it. It's hard to take a stand on something and know that that there may be hurt feelings involved with it. And when when everyone, I think, when everyone is perfectly healthy, then you can kind of reason your way through that. But so often we're not, especially, like I said, when our when our feelings are involved, when we're hurt, when we're wounded, when we're discouraged, when we're questioning, it's hard to have that perspective of this person loves me and wants the best for me. It's much easier to go to a place of this person is jealous of me or they don't want me to succeed or they're just whatever other excuse we can come up with. And we have to bear in mind then that the church is a place of unhealthy people. Mm-hmm. We have to recognize that um, and and be okay with the fact. You know, no one walks into uh, a hospital and says, why are all these sick people here? Mm-hmm. And yet we walk into a church and say, why are all these sinners here? Essentially. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to re- recognize that that is the reality. And so it's a risk. Um, but what Paul teaches us is that elsewhere in his writings is that Christ is the risk worth taking in all this, that, that all of our suffering, everything that we might endure is going to be, uh, incomparable to the glory that will be revealed in us through Christ on the, on the day of, of salvation or not of of salvation of redemption. Yeah. And I think that's at the heart of some of his other passages that we always go to talking about different gifts and different parts of the body and the way we all work together. And I think when those things are happening, well, that is a beautiful picture of, of what the community should look like and what, what our relationship to God is like. It just takes a whole lot of work to get there. It it does. And so that's why in part, I talked a lot, and in part because I have a heart for that age group, you know, I talked a lot about college students and, and late high school students because they are case studies in discernment, and yet we have left so much on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I talk about that because this is a direct application of someone, anyone who is basically age 17 through age 35 is trying to figure out what is it that I'm supposed to do with life and and i directly called out the fact that the church has been deficient in this area we we talk to kids about oh what do you what are you interested in? what do you want to do but rarely do we say do we get deeply involved in their lives to say you know i really see this gifting in you have you considered whether god is calling you to really develop this what are you thinking and that's a much different conversation yeah yeah and it's it's interesting to me that on one level we are pushing kids to make those kinds of decisions and evaluations about themselves earlier and earlier. I know in the school district that I live in when we were doing scheduling for the next year, which is a pretty significant developmental jump, all of a sudden we had to pick what career track of classes we wanted to take. Yeah. And there's a lot, of, a lot of overlap, and, and we're talking such. middle school, though, right? Yeah, going oh into seventh grade, like, do you, you know, the science track or the humanities track? Like, what? How? 
most of these seventh graders don't even know what humanities. I, I, I was going to say I didn't know what <laughs> yeah. humanities meant at, at, at seventh grade anyway. So and so we're forcing we're forcing students earlier and earlier to discern what they want to do with their lives and and not giving them any tools at all. It seems like until well past college to figure out what that even means for their lives. Well, you know what the tools were for us. Here's where the jobs are. Yeah. This is where you'll make the most money. Yeah. I remember doing those inventories. I remember taking an inventory and then it would give you like seven, your top seven careers that you matched with. And then, yes, a salary attached to that. So I was like, all right, that one. And clearly <laughs> I didn't listen because ministry. But um, but yeah, and we, we have conflated we have conflated career with calling so much as well, which is just a whole nother hard thing to, to reckon with because certainly God's calling is a part of your career, but perhaps your career isn't the, the sum total of your calling in Christ. That, that's a fantastic point um, that, that your calling is a subset uh, or excuse me, your career is a subset of that calling because we have made people to be because we get so hyper focused on um, training for our career. Then, it, uh, even simple things, it, you ask, "Am I allowed to have this hobby outside? Am I allowed to enjoy X outside?" Um, and the answer is yes, of mm-hmm. course you are. Um, so I, I think that's a great, great distinction there. What were some other things that you heard in in this text? Maybe that jumped out at you after after considering it for a while? I think, you know, one thing that I noticed right away is that the group that surrounded Paul was a diverse group, ethnically diverse background, diverse geography, economy, everything. And that is so different. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or in a different conversation where we talked about the echo chambers that we have found ourselves Mm. in that rather than diversify the voices in our lives, we're really quick to say, you don't think like I do, see you later, or you can't relate to where I am, no thank you. Um, and, And again, how the church has aided in that, um, that grouping people together by age, by, by skill set, you know, here are the people that are interested in mission. And then over here are the people that are interested in fellowship stuff and never the two shall meet that, that we're not good at integrating all those different diverse voices into our lives as we figure things out, as we discern calling, because as, as we just said, you know, our, our lives and the calling on our lives is a lot more integrated than than we act like it is and and the net result is then discipleship suffers as Mm -hmm. well because the reality is discipleship often requires us to cross some sort of boundary Mm -hmm. it requires and and not necessarily like in what we used to think of as missions where you cross cultural boundaries but often discipleship is going to cross uh it might cross a boundary in terms of career it might across a boundary in terms of gender, in terms of generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality is that that discipleship requires both an understanding of God and an understanding of the person that we're going to disciple. And, and that's a very specialized 
understanding. You know, we can talk in generalities here about, you know, the generations and so on and so forth, but then that actually has to be put into, um, into practice and weighed against actual specific people because not every gen alpha person is going to be risk adverse. Not every millennial is going to be, you know, upset that they're still thought of as, you know, being 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, not every gen Xer is off on the side, just kind of watching the show. Um, and not every boomer is, you know, uh, is doing whatever. So, um, we have to be we have to actually know who it is that we're trying to disciple and we can't be siloed and have these people over here and these people over here but we've got to have a, a variety of voices at the table and speaking into our lives otherwise it 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 does become that echo chamber and all we hear is what we thought we wanted to hear yeah it it takes effort and it takes listening it takes me approaching the person with whom I want to have a discipling relationship or share the gospel with and really listening to where they are and what they need and and then tailoring my interactions with them to to reach those needs to speak in such a way that that the gospel meets those needs and not my perceived needs not my perception of what they need and again that it it's something that takes an incredible amount of work and and patience which we're not good at <laughs> um it takes not it, to go back to our discussion from i think it was last week that it's not something to be checked off a list that it's a constant relationship and and going back and forth and realizing that that needs change and and my ability to relate to you will change in different ways. We see that as as kids grow up, that you relate to them in a different way when they're younger than you do when they're in middle school, than you do when they're in high school. And that's different for every student, every personality. And some some students need to be reminded, like, hey, do your best work. Like, you need to be putting your absolute best effort into it. And some students, you need to say, listen take a deep breath and relax. It's okay. <laughs> like an yeah. A minus is not going to be the end of all your career aspirations. And you have to be willing to, to know that and suss that out about someone before you can speak into their life in such a way that it's not just more noise or making them feel guilty or, or any of the other things that, that can happen when we just assume we know what someone needs and drop our truth bombs and go on the way. Yes. So, uh, you know, one, one of the first thoughts that I had in that is that speaking to a child in different ways across a developmental lifespan is a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no child psychologist is going to say, use the same language this the whole way through. It's you're, you're going to be saying a lot of the same things, but maybe not in the same way. The other thing is that bringing this back to what you were saying, Paul really does on a great, level, and this is part of what got cut as I was preparing the sermon, is that Paul does this on a great level with this group. So he's in a region called Laconia, and um, it is an agricultural region. And so when he um, when he 
speaks to the people of Lystra, he uses agricultural terms. He talks about the God who provides rain. He talks about uh, all these things. But he, you know what he doesn't talk about? He doesn't talk about his Jewish heritage mm. at all. He doesn't actually say Jesus at all in his opening speech. And it's because he understands that that's, that, that connection is, at that moment, a non-starter for them. He might as well, well, I could say he might as well be speaking Greek, but he was speaking Greek. Um, but uh, he might as well be speaking gibberish if he brings in Jewishness into that conversation. We've been thinking a lot about that with another organization I'm a part of that, that really does bring to people together from multiple different perspectives, multiple different backgrounds, multiple ethnic- ethnicities, worship styles, you name it. It's probably the most diverse group that I'm a part of. And we've been working on how to help people to realize that the way that they speak has the opportunity to open up doors or slam them shut. That certain phrases, certain words, certain topics are going to make half of the, the people listening completely shut down. And not saying you can't talk about hard things, not saying we can't have difficult conversations, but to know enough to know that the way I approach this means everything. And the way I interact with people has the opportunity to help them to open up their perspective or they may, you know, speaking in a different way, they may shut me off immediately, even just thinking they know what I'm going to say, even if things are, even if I intend to go in a different direction, the way I start, the the words I use, the tone I use can really mean the difference between a group who's willing to hear you and a group who is going to shut down. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a great way to put it. I, I have a, I have a, a, a less, good way of, of <laughs> a less good way a less gooder way of saying that um you know i think about it in the fact that so i have a background in music i started out in music school um and then i switched to english and then i became a pastor um but uh you know i started out in music school and i think about the way that you speak to someone if you know if we're in the congregation and and we're singing music and i turn to someone and i say hey your resolution of that four three suspension was seventeen cents sharp. Yeah, well, I don't know. People are gonna be like, well, nope. whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and 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 I may be true, I may be accurate in that, but the way that I've presented it and the language that I've used, it's gonna cause that person to be like, yeah, I'm yeah. never gonna speak to you about music. One, you've just showed me that you're you're all up on it. Yeah, and that I'm wrong. I was just enjoying the music. Yeah, I wonder too. So often in our particular church, but also in the wider church, we hear people, and we we brought it up when it came to discipleship, we hear people who are so hesitant to share the gospel or share, be in a relationship of discipleship or to teach a class because they don't want to get it wrong. And, and maybe it's because as the church, we haven't given people ordinary language that and some of it, I think, is that we're so anxious to try and to prove to one another that we know what we're talking about, that we do talk in these super <laughs> technical ways that that can create the image. Well, I don't I don't know all that. Like, I am not 
I'm not there, so I'm not good enough to do all these things. You know, yeah, absolutely. Because we had how many years of schooling to to be ordained as a pastor and had to learn two languages and uh, and all take three systematic theologies and church history and so on and so forth. Whereas you go to the Baptist church down the street or the non-denominational church and uh, you find the pastor that's just like, I, I just am called to, to preach the gospel. Yeah. And and they don't have the, you know, the, the good Presbyterians are going to be looking down their noses saying, well, you don't understand the, di- the difference between, uh, you know, pre-millennial eschatology and, <laughs> And those people, no, I just know the Bible. And you know what? That resonates. Mm-hmm. And so when we're concerned about those things, when we're concerned about, oh, I don't have the technical knowledge, you know what? People don't want the technical knowledge. Um, you know, when when Jesus rose and Mary saw him and cried out, uh, cried out, you know, Lord, she did not then say, could you please explain to me the metaphysics of your resurrection? Yeah. She was just happy to have the risen Jesus right there. And that made all the difference in the world. Yeah, and and that's what I wrote down too that the an encounter with the risen Jesus is still making a difference. Now it's in the life of Paul and you did a great job of bringing out like that was the turning point. That was the figuring out who I'm going to live for and then then as as Paul is sent out this time to fail in spectacular fashion, but (laughs) as he's sent out, as we're all sent out that now we have to figure out what that's going to look like. How will my encounter with the risen Jesus? How will my faith, how will my conversion, whether I can point to a particular moment that that happened or not, how are all these things now going to affect the way I live the rest of my life. And that's true of my career. That's true of my parenting. That's true of the way that I interact with the kids I drive in the carpool. It's true in, of the way that I interact with the the clerk at the grocery store. But how will my conversion story, how will my encounter with the risen Jesus affect the commissioning that is on my life to go and live in this world in 2023 with all of its roadblocks and and all of its joys too purpose has been one of those things that i've struggled with in my life and i'll connect this here in just a second but the the fact that you you're bringing out the 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 dichotomy that i made about not a dichotomy but the 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 distinction i made that okay there is your um there is your your story of how you came to faith in christ how you encountered the risen Jesus. And then there's the mission that you were given by, uh, um, there's the mission that you were given by the Holy Spirit. And those are two different things. So I, I feel like growing up, it was, okay, you're a Christian. It just means don't do these things. As long as you're operating within these bounds, we don't care what you do. And there wasn't a lot of talk about purpose and calling aside from if you were called to ministry. And so as I'm as I've gotten older and matured and, and read more scripture, I, I very much see that in with Paul, with the Great Commission, uh, or you could call it the Great Reorientation, as we talked about in the in the podcast from from the sermon two weeks ago. 
as you look at these things, Jesus absolutely cares about people's purpose. Mm -hmm. He absolutely cares about them being engaged in meaningful work that advances the kingdom of God. Uh, And so this is actually something that, that we need to help people with. Otherwise we're just leaving individuals to figure it out when, uh, when it's, it's clear in passages like this, that it is a work of the community, helping each other out, helping one another discern, helping one another, um, find direction and meaning and purpose, helping one another find their, their gifting. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, that, that's, that's where I see, you know, this passage being a very, uh, helpful tool in saying if if you've just come to faith and you're struggling with purpose that's okay go in prayer with your community yeah and if you've been a a person of faith for a long time but are facing a a life transition of becoming a parent or sending kids off to college and being an empty nester of changing careers or retiring and struggling with purpose that's okay too that we don't this isn't a figure it out one time forever kind of thing that we constantly have to be seeking the holy spirit and be seeking the community that can can inform the way we we interpret that um as we as we figure out what it means every day to live a life of faith and as well if you're struggling with purpose that doesn't mean then that that you haven't had a true encounter with the risen christ yeah and, and I'm afraid my fear is that in getting in, in not having all this held together is that we've inadvertently p- told people that, well, it isn't real because you have, because you don't have this aspect of it figured out. It, yeah. it didn't come as a, as a neatly tied up package with a bow and so on. Yeah. Similarly, how we communicate sometimes, whether intentionally or not, well, if you, if you struggle with this, if you have questions about this, then maybe our as faithful of a believer as you thought you were that. And and I think, you know, that's the opposite of, of what I want to embody that, that God is big enough to handle all our questions about what am I supposed to be doing? And, and God is big enough to handle all our questions of, I'm just not sure about this. This is hard. This is confusing. This is hurtful. You know, I've been thinking a lot about grief lately through some other works that, um, that it's okay to say this is hard and I, I'm not sure where you are or where you're leading in the midst of this, God, but I know you're here and that's enough for right now. N- Nowhere do I publish a sermon title, but I actually have this one um, titled When Good Ministry Meets a Broken World. Mm-hmm. Because That's exactly what you're talking about. A, a good... A good encounter with the risen Jesus, even a good understanding of what our purpose is, then has to interact with a broken world. And that can make us feel like we don't have it all together. And that's not a function of our faith. Um, I I mean, maybe it can be, but it's not a direct one-to-one correlation. Um, That it's a function, more times than not, of interacting with the brokenness of this world that is yet waiting for the final restoration uh, in Jesus' second coming. Yeah. Totally easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have to remind ourselves of that. Yeah. And that's again, goes back to community. And that's why Paul's 
calling was important. That's why Paul going with Barnabas as his mentor uh, was important. That's why Paul having Ananias teach him the faith was important. Yeah. Uh, because he had to have these things. He had a certain set of gifting that was unique and that was powerful. But he needed those people around him, both so he could interact with him, but uh, but also so they could correct him and and he them. Yeah. Yeah. And we need those people too. So be a part of community. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where, you know, I've heard people say, you know, I can worship God on the golf course, same as I can on, in a church building. That's true, but you can't, uh, encourage the saints. You can't help discern. You can't, um, bring your gifts to bear on someone else's life in that form of isolation. Yeah. And you can't put yourself in a position to be in the relationships that will speak into your life in meaningful ways until, unless, unless you are present with other people. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, uh, you know, people are, uh, the, the fact that discipleship requires both an understanding of God and an understanding of the people that we're trying to disciple, uh, Paul cutting out his Jewish heritage, uh, and and people misunderstanding the gospel based on their their own worldview, um, those were some of the things that that got cut from this week's sermon. But um, but all important ideas that that we have to take with us into discipling other people and into the way that we interact with the world. Yeah, yeah, and and I think when we're willing to do that, we we develop a richness that can be surprising sometimes and, and insights that, that can surprise us and, and remind us that even in the passages where it just seems like a traveling passage, that there's still such deep truth and example and caution all in the midst of that is important. And, and I will make a final comment that, that that means that we have to have tenacity that means that we have to have community it means that we don't have to be afraid of failure and that we have to have a good robust theology of suffering yeah um because that's part of this life suffering is part of this life and that's okay because god can redeem it and does redeem it for his purposes yeah yeah and and then I think part of community too is being willing to be with one another in our suffering. And, and as we said, not just pander, not just blow smoke, but, but to really sit in the difficulty when, when the plan is different than what we expect or when heartbreaks come or when, when it takes longer than we thought to figure it out, when we thought things were going in a direction and all of a sudden, wait, maybe not. So yeah, all good stuff. Difficult stuff, but uh, hopefully this encourages, uh, if you're listening, hopefully this encourages you to to engage and to uh, know that your presence within the church matters, um, that Christ has, has uh, put you with a group of people so that you can do this work together. Um, so if, if you found this helpful, uh, this help, <laughs> if you found this episode helpful, wow, I'm just failing with a word, sort of like I failed with catastrophe on uh, yeah, in, in the sermon. That was, that was brilliant. Uh, if you found this help, 
episode helpful, uh, could you do us a favor and leave a rating or review? Uh, those help people to, those are ways that um, uh, podcasts get bumped up in the, the ratings and so more people can find it. And so uh, would you do that and share it with others and so that others can discover this more easily? Also, clip, click subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcast. We really do appreciate it. And give us any feedback you may be having on this. Until next time, hopefully I figure out how to speak without messing up my words. Uh, but I'm Pastor James. And I'm Pastor Dina. And we hope that this helps you connect Sunday to the weekday.